Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Thoughtful Intentions. I'm your host, Fiona Winch, and today I'm joined by Vanessa Chapoy. Vanessa Chapoy, 25, was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer at the age of 24 with zero family history and no known genetics. She is passionate about early detection, breast health education, and patient advocacy for young women of color. Now, before we get started today, I just want to preface that This episode is a little bit different from some of my other episodes. I typically talk a lot with people who have changed paths because of external circumstances or a desire to explore other passions, and a lot of the time those pivots are by choice. Um, And clearly with this topic, none of this was by choice, but it has um, changed Vanessa's life. And I've wanted to talk about it for quite some time because my bottom line mission with this thing is to shed a little light on different life experiences and hopefully bring some peace of mind to anyone who's going through similar experiences related to the topics that I cover. So that's what we're doing here today. Um, Let's get to it. Hi, Vanessa. Hi. It's good to see you. Um, Just a little bit of background for our lovely listeners today. Vanessa and I went to high school together. We did. Um, We did theater together as well. A memory just popped up on my Facebook, which I sent to Vanessa. It was like us at sophomore year homecoming. Um, And it said 10 years (laughs) ago. It said 10 years ago today, which was scary. Yeah, it said 10 years ago. Already? I know. And I mean, part of me wasn't that surprised because we look like babies. Like I have a mouth full of braces, but it's also just how has that much time passed? I don't know. That is insane. I remember we used to have a ton of classes together too. And we like, I I remember we had a lot of mutual friends because Mm -hmm. we did theater in middle school and then in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we finally, I think the one show that we actually performed in together was West side story. Um, do you I know how the- often I think about that production? Like oh this God. is completely off topic. First of all, Vanessa <laughs> crushed it. She played Anita, but, um, oh this was God. 2014 and they spray tanned half the cast. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad. It would never fly now. I mean, I, God willing, it would never fly, but there was no yeah. reason it should have happened in 2014 either. <laughs> it was it's bad. It was bad. bad. Um, and Vanessa also did theater with my cousin in DC after college, which was just one of those crazy small world experiences where I was like, wait, you know, my cousin, like, what? I always forget about that too. I know. Yes, this is true. This is true. There's a lot of random crossover. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of puppeteering as well. So yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, so now you guys are all caught up. Um, we're not going to talk about theater today. Um, unfortunately I know. Um, but one of the reasons that Vanessa and I have been in contact more recently is because my mom was also diagnosed with breast cancer almost a year ago at this time. I mean, it was late April. Um, I actually haven't talked about it on here yet, so I'm glad that we're doing it together. Um, but yeah, Vanessa was a huge, huge resource and just help. And it was amazing because I started, I was watching your stories on Instagram, like before I even obviously knew. Um, so that when that day came, I had way more knowledge than I even realized, which it's priceless. It really is. So thank you for that. 
happy I can. I mean, even knowing that I was able to help, like, even just one person in even the smallest capacity um, is is what I really enjoy doing with this and sharing my story because um, just being a young person that has gone through breast cancer, it's very alienating um, because it is oftentimes marketed as a middle-aged white woman disease. So mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I was untouchable. I thought mm-hmm. there, oh, there's like, I, I, I don't know when I was younger. I mean, I never said this out loud, but I thought, wow, I really got lucky with my health. And I never like actually said that out loud, but even just thinking about that, I was like, wow, karma's a bitch. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, but I'm happy that um, I was able to connect with you and with your mom, um, especially during her recovery and everything. So, yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's just like, I'm, I'm, there's a lot of things that I want to talk to you about, um, like your advocacy work and life after cancer and like some of that toxic positivity that is surrounded by everything. Um, but I just would love to start from the beginning to Mm -hmm. tell everyone what's going on, like your story. Um, I know that you were diagnosed in early summer of 2020 and Mm -hmm. as I understand it, you kind of detected it yourself. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So, okay. So let me start from the very beginning. It's a few months into COVID. Um, At this point, I moved back in with my mom because I'm working from home full time, no end in sight. And I'm like, why am I keeping up with my apartment if I'm not going into the office? So I move in with my mom um and I'm still here we're still we're BFF so I'm still living with my so I mean it's it's great I, she, you guys are the cutest I I love her if you all go stalk my mom on Instagram she's really she's cute great. she's Poi Medina <laughs> anywho um so it's it's a few months into the pandemic it's Memorial Day weekend um and I I don't know what I was doing I think I was helping my mom put away the groceries and I bend over and all of a sudden I feel a sharp pain and, you know, by instinct, when you feel a sharp pain, you go and touch it. And so I go to touch it and it was like right on my, on my right breast. And I, I feel this lump and I was like, wait, wh- what? And it took me back a bit. Um, cause I, I immediately, I knew something was off. Um, cause I was like, I kept on feeling it. And I was like, that, I know that I have lumpy breasts. Um, but I was like, that's, that seems weird. Um, so I kept on feeling it. And my mom looks at me and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, touch my breast. And she's like, what? And I was like, no, just feel it. And she's like, do you feel that lump? And she feels it. She's like, yeah, I do. Um, you should get that checked out. And I was like, yeah, yeah I agree. So the mm-hmm. next day uh, we go to urgent care. And this is my favorite part of the story. Um, oh, the doctor just looks at me and she says, Oh, sweetie, it's because you're ovulating that, um, that happens all the time. It's a fibrocystic nodule, blah, 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 blah. Obviously that wasn't true. Um, you know, the end of the story. Um, and so I, I really just was not satisfied with that answer. Um, so I went to my OBGYN, um, my OBGYN, um, basically saved my life. Um, she agreed that it was something that I needed to go actually get checked out and get like an ultrasound for. Um, so she wrote me, so she, so she wrote me an order to go get an ultrasound. 
Um, and at this point she said, okay, I don't necessarily feel anything suspicious, but I just want to make sure that we get to the bottom of what exactly this is for your own peace of mind. Um, because typically this doesn't happen to people at this age. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, cool. Sounds totally fine. I have no family history of breast cancer, no known genetics, blah, blah. So I go to the ultrasound. I'm pretty calm people. I'm thinking, oh, it's, I'm going to be fine. Um, and then I go into the room and the tech starts doing the ultrasound on me and she's talking to me. And then all of a sudden she just goes quiet. Um, oh my gosh. Like, I don't, and then she just starts like, you know, going around the area more and is just like really focused and then kind of pauses. She leaves the room, comes back, does my other breast, goes back to the same breast as before leaves the room again, comes back and she's saying, oh my okay, I, I'm concerned. I am trying to figure out if it makes sense to get you a mammogram. However, we're trying to figure out how to get your insurance to cover it because really? insurance typically will not cover your mammograms unless you're over the age of 45. Oh and even God. then that's for preventative screen like for screenings not for diagnostics not for diagnostic mammograms so really uh, like 30 minutes yeah so that's a whole other thing um so talk about I I was gonna ask if you had to kind of fight for a mammogram yep yep I did um okay so I didn't have to fight as much as I thought I would have to um so this is where I got really lucky and I'm very fortunate that I have very good health insurance yeah um and my health insurance finally uh said okay sure, that's fine. Um, so I was able to get it covered by my health insurance, but I just cannot stress this enough. That is not always the case. Totally. Um, I, I know that I have great health insurance and, but even, even, even if you have great health insurance, it's not, they're not always going to approve of every screening, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So (sighs) 30, 45 minutes later, they finally get my health insurance on the phone. They're like, okay, fine. That's, you can do the diagnostic mammogram. Uh, they start looking at the mammogram. They see some calcifications, which is normal in you know women that are like postmenopausal, and uh, it's not really that normal for someone like me, where it's all clustered mm-hmm. in one specific area. Mm-hmm. And they're just staring at it and they're thinking, "Well, we can't really tell anything because you have dense breasts." because you're young. And I'm like, well, that's, this is just wonderful. So they send me back to the ultrasound. It's a whole thing. Um, and so they get me to speak with a, their breast surgeon. Um, and so the breast surgeon is reviewing the images. She calls me later that night, actually. Um, and she says, hi, I know that what you're going through may seem scary. Um, and so then I stop her and I say, what do you mean? what do you mean that it looks scary? And she said, I don't think it's benign. Um, and honestly, that was the biggest like wake up call or the biggest thing that hit me the most, even more mm-hmm. when I eventually heard the word that you have cancer, that was the part that made me spiral because up until that point, everyone was saying, Oh no, you're fine. You're too young for that. Blah, 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 blah. But it was when she said, I don't think it's benign you have to be pretty freaking positive to say that you don't think it's freaking benign. Um, yeah. And so when I heard that, I, 
I remember telling, like breaking down, going downstairs and telling my mom what the breast surgeon said. And she said, you see, I told, oh. And so, cause she thought I was going to say it was all fine. And just hearing my mom's voice crack um, was probably one of like the most heartbreaking things I've ever experienced. Um, So that was basically them telling me what that I had breast cancer. I mean, I still had to go in for the biopsy. So we were still holding on to hope, but I was like, if that breast surgeon, I, that's like the moment where things like shatter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at that point, my, my pre-cancer Vanessa died that, that moment. So I like life as I knew it just completely changed. Um, so then I went in for my biopsy, came back um, 24 hours after the biopsy saying that it was confirmed that I had invasive ductal carcinoma, uh, which is the most common kind of breast cancer. That's what my mom um, Yeah, exactly. And um, it, was, it, it was stage 2A. So it was a little bit on the larger side, but there was no lymph node involvement, which was good. Right. Um, and so I was, I was, it was funny. No, actually, no, it was not funny, but looking back on it, I was diagnosed at a very inconvenient time because my best friend was getting married a month later in Jackson Uh, Hole, Wyoming. (laughs) And, um, I was telling my doctors, I was like, all right, I can't miss this wedding. Even though my friend, Erin, the one that got married, um, she said, Vanessa, do please do not feel pressured to attend. It is, we're in the middle of the pandemic. You have freaking cancer like it's it is like we will zoom you in whatever right. and I said, that's <laughs> hilarious no I'm taking my ass to Wyoming um so I asked the doctors okay is that actually is that actually possible um and they said well we recommend starting you off with surgery um and they presented me the option of either a lumpectomy or a double mastectomy um and but they said that I'm a candidate for either a lumpectomy is when they just remove the tumor itself and mm-hmm. a little bit of the surrounding tissue. Mm-hmm. A mastectomy is when they complete, it's basically an amputation of your breasts mm-hmm. where they completely remove all of your breast tissue and everything on the out, like everything there. Right. Um, and either you can stay flat and have an aesthetic flat closure, or you might get um, implants, or you could transfer fat from other parts of your body. Um, to make that, to make the formation of a breast. Um, but so those were like the two kind of surgical options that I had. If I did a lumpectomy, I would be able to make it in time to the wedding, um, because it's a shorter recovery. So Mm -hmm. I decided to go forward with the lumpectomy. Um, but I did ask them, is there a way for me to eventually do a double mastectomy? Because I, just for my own peace of mind, they said, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just more surgery. And I said, that's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I like, cause I, w- I really wanted to make sure that I made it to my friend's wedding, but I also wanted to eventually have a double mastectomy. So do you feel um, like that? Like kind of, I don't know, just in some way mentally knowing that you could still do things that were important to you. Yes. I feel like that must've had some kind of effect on the overall experience. Exactly. It it definitely did. Um, knowing that I could still do normal things and be a normal person, at least for a few days. Um, because at that point it, it wasn't until weeks after surgery, would I find out whether or not I would be needing chemo. Mm -hmm. 
because mm. um, my my cancer was hormone receptor positive, um, but they needed to do some additional testing based off of mm-hmm. the pathology from the surgery to to determine whether or not I would benefit from chemo because some people benefit from it, other people don't. Right. Um, like I remember your mom had a lower oncotype score, so mm-hmm. she didn't she actually didn't need. It. Yeah. which is which was awesome no it was because um, when she got that pathology I remember texting you because <laughs> they sent it to us before any doctor contacted us and we couldn't get a hold of like the breast cancer center and so we were like what does any of this mean and it's like one of those things where once you get it you want to understand it immediately like yeah. immediately <laughs> yeah we were like why would they send this to us why would they send it without any explanation it was crazy I no matter like and it's like reading greek it does none of it makes sense nothing none of it makes sense i still don't know what i'm reading and i have to go see dr google to figure out oh my god i'm dying and actually (laughs) no actually it was very successful like okay um it's it's so it's so stressful um but yeah so i did the one back to me um i i made it to my best friend's wedding uh, barely, but I made it. Um, my mom was my, my plus one. Cause I, I was still like, eh, there was, yeah, yeah, it was a whole thing. Um, but actually the day after the wedding, I got the call. I, or no, I called the hospital asking them, okay, so do I need chemo? They're like, we wanted to wait until after the wedding to tell you that you, you are going to need chemo. Um, that my mm-hmm. testing came back saying that I had a higher chance of recurrence and that I would benefit from chemo. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this war was that I had a 28% chance of it coming back in the next nine years if I didn't do chemo and just did hormone therapy. Um, so if I did chemo, it would drastically bring that down, like drastically. Right. Um, and so I said, okay, then I have to do chemo. Mm-hmm. Um, and another and- point, like you, like my mom also, didn't have a family history of it either. And I know that was like a major part of it too. First of all, Mm -hmm. the family history. And second of all, how young you were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's exactly. So that's, that's also another interesting thing that I found out a lot during all of this is the vast majority of people that are diagnosed with breast cancer have zero family history. Yeah. That Um, that was surprising to me to learn. I know. A very common misconception. Mm-hmm. Extremely common misconception. So, I mean, if you have a family history, yeah, your chances are much higher that you're going to get it. But mm-hmm. the majority of people actually diagnosed, it's there's no family history at all. Yeah, um, so, that's and that's something that scientists and researchers are still trying to pinpoint down what exactly is happening. Some people attributed to the Western lifestyle, others contributed to blah 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 blah. blah. Nobody really knows, right? Um, but it it's just because you don't have a family history doesn't mean that you're immune um, to to get it. It doesn't mean that you're untouchable. So that's that's something that I, I definitely had to learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was insane. But when I found out that I would be needing chemo, the first question I asked my, my surgeon was, am I going to be able to have kids? Um, this is something I wanted to ask you about because I knew that you mm-hmm. went through IVF. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to jump the gun here, but- No, um, go ahead. I knew that you went through IVF as well simultaneously mm-hmm. and froze your eggs, but I don't mm-hmm. think I realized that the menopause is temporary. Like I don't, Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. I yeah. didn't even know that was possible. 
Yeah. Science is yeah. crazy. It, science is actually, is, is science is freaking ridiculous. So one of the that things work? that did, one of the things that did calm me during all of this is knowing that there's just so much research. I, I, not to say that any cancer is a good cancer, but for my specific subtype of breast cancer, there's a lot, a lot of the research is focused on that subtype. So invasive mm. ductal carcinoma, hormone positive, HER2 negative. Um, they need to bring out more research on the other subtypes. They really, really do. But yeah. um, one thing that calmed me down was knowing that there was just a lot of research um, behind it. And just within the past 10 years, there have been so many incredible breakthroughs um, yeah. within the breast cancer space. Um, and so for my, for my cancer in particular, it, since it was hormone positive, um, I have been on hormone therapy now. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, um, I get a shot every month. It's called Zolodex. And basically what it does, it, it, it suppresses your ovaries and it basically, mm-hmm. basically it puts them to sleep. Um, so, okay. so they first started injecting me with that, um, during chemo, um, so that my body would stop producing estrogen basically altogether. So um, it's kind of like dormant, like, so you're getting mm-hmm. sim- like menopausal symptoms because your body thinks that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Yep. So it, it basically, it puts your ovaries to sleep. It doesn't like hurt them or anything like that. Uh-huh. It just tells your, it just tells your ovaries go to sleep will wake you up in a few years or whatever. Wow. I mean, you have to get the sh- you have to get the shot every month and the yeah. shot is so painful, but it's, it's, it, it, it puts you into a medically mm-hmm. induced menopause. Um, and along with that, you also can take either what is called an aromatase inhibitor or, um, so you can take that, or you can take tamoxifen. Tamoxifen is typically for women who are premenopausal. Um, however, I've done a lot of, oh my gosh, I, I sound like one of those kinds that says I've done a lot of my own research. Um, no, but I, so there is a lot (laughs) of research and specifically for my use case that it Mm -hmm. would be better to do an aromatase inhibitor, which is technically for postmenopausal women, but technically I was already in menopause because I was on the Zolodex shot all throughout chemo. So Mm -hmm. I was a candidate for the aromatase inhibitor and studies have shown that it does perform better than tenoxifen. And plus on tamoxifen, a lot of people gain weight and I was not about to gain weight. (laughs) (laughs) Not that that was the main reason, but I just heard, I have a lot of young breast cancer friends around my age that went through it. They were like, don't do it. Just do the AI. I was like, all right. (laughs) Okay. So to touch on that though, like you didn't have a lot of young breast cancer friends in the beginning of all this. I I remember you talking about how like talking not to me directly, but on your social media about how isolating it can be. And I, I have to imagine, I mean, first of all, going through something like this during the pandemic means that your family is automatically limited, uh, with what they can participate in. Let's so to speak, you know, I remember my dad like sat in the car for like hours when my mom was in surgeries. Um, and then of course, like, you know, I was scared of bringing COVID home from New York to DC all the time. Like you automatically are isolated, but then like you mentioned earlier, how alienating you, like your situation was, uh, what has it meant to just like find this community? I feel like it's been the biggest game changer possible. It's, 
it, it, it's really been so incredible. I mean, it's terrifying to know that this is affecting so many young people, but it was mm. so good to know that I wasn't just this like uh, mutant. I felt like a mutant, like something happened when my mom gave birth to me and like, I felt like a, um, a yeah. like a lab rat sort of experiment because all these doctors would just stare at me like, oh my gosh, that's possible. But it's actually becoming more and more common, unfortunately, for young people. So um, this was really the power of social media in this case, because if it wasn't for social media, I wouldn't have been able to meet all these amazing young people that have also had to go through breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is one of those instances where social media has actually been a huge blessing. Yeah. And Um, you're like so... Um, I mean, your blog, Fight Like a Girl, that was just incredibly informative and I think a really helpful resource. I'm sure that there have been plenty of women who have come to you versus like the other way around just because of what you've been putting out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have not been updating that blog in I think almost a year now because I think I really kept that as like my cathartic journal during... It's when you needed active treatment. Yeah, it's when I needed it. It was very cathartic, and now I think it's helping others. So that's why I still keep it up. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that that was that was really insane. But yeah, I just realized. um, So going back to IVF. Yeah, (laughs) sorry, sorry. (laughs) And I realized I'm like, wait, did we actually end up talking about it? No, Um, we went down a rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) So the the reason that they had me do IVF is because chemotherapy is known to affect your fertility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the thought process is, oh, technically because I am quote unquote young, I, even if I didn't get my eggs frozen, they think that I would have still been fine being able to get pregnant naturally after after all of this, once I'm off of hormone therapy after five mm-hmm. to 10 years, because I am so young. Mm-hmm. Um, however, my, the way my oncologist told me to think of it was that she completely supports me either way to do IVF or to do to get like my eggs frozen or to not do it. She said, it's completely up to me. Um, but she thought of it as an excellent insurance policy in a way, mm. um, because knowing that when you get your eggs frozen, the eggs that are, even when you use them five to 10 years later, they're still the eggs of a, a from a 24 year old, sure. no longer a 34 year old or what, how, right, whatever right, age right. I am at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're still, cause you're, bo- I get the way they told me is that you're born with the most amount of eggs and once you're born, they start just going down significantly. That's why there's so many teen pregnancies because that's when you're the most fertile and it goes down. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's why they, that's why they recommended that I did egg freezing. So I did the egg freezing and like a week later I got my port placed, Portia, my girl, um, my portacap. Um, and that is how I received all of my chemotherapy. Um, but another thing that they used to help with my fertility during all this was the Zolodex shot. So you know how I said that that shot, it, it mm-hmm. suppresses your ovaries. It puts them to sleep. That also helps with protecting your fertility. Okay. So um, doing the egg freezing on top of having the Zolodex shot um, has 
helped me in terms of preserving my fertility slash allowing me to have other options once I do decide that I want to have children. Um, should I wish that I, I want to have children? Um, again, going back to accessibility, I'm very fortunate that my, my, the, my company, like the company that I work for, they mm-hmm. cover, they yeah. cover fertility preservation stuff because that wow. is not cheap. It is not I cheap. I was going to ask, like you were working this whole time. I was- <laughs> That's crazy. My, okay. Fiona, I got so, so I was so, so fortunate with my job. That is crazy. Um, <laughs> I can't. They were so understanding and so wonderful to me. I think part of the reason is my boss, my boss at the time, um, his wife is actually a breast cancer survivor. Okay. Um, so he saw firsthand what it's like to be, or he was a caregiver for yeah. someone going through breast cancer. So he had, I, I think she actually went to the same hospital as me. Um, and, but this was several years earlier, but he knew mm-hmm. exactly what I was going through from a caregiver's lens. And he says, Vanessa, you take care of yourself this year. That's amazing. I mean, we're here to support you in any way, whatever workloads you need us to do, please tell us and we will take care of it and have other like people on our team do it. What, like, what have you, you been doing take for care of yourself? Um, so I saw the cloud. I saw the cloud, uh, oh, cool. it, to, yeah, to higher education customers. So yeah, I work for like an IT company. And then my boss's boss's boss is also a cancer survivor. And he was always checking in on me, checking how I was doing. Um, They sent me chocolates and candy and flowers after my surgeries. And um, they knew my chemo, they knew my chemo schedule. They allowed me to, I also get unlimited sick leave. So again, I was so fortunate that I had a job that not only covered my fertility um, expenses and had great health insurance, but also I got unlimited sick leave and just a very supportive job um, and supportive network in that sense, because that it does not happen often. So I, I, I was lucky to have and very fortunate to have a support network and not have that same sort of stress from at least from a work perspective while I was going through all this. So technically I was working, um, but I can't say I was, I was a hundred percent at my best. Uh, Still, I mean, I am just blown away by that. I, I, and I was thinking about it because I hope at least that, you know, now that remote work is normalized in yeah. a lot of industries, obviously not all of them, but I, I would hope that going forward, that will make life a little bit easier for people that have to go on medical leave or for caregivers mm-hmm. that can be mm-hmm. home and also work. Um, exactly if there's any silver lining to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it definitely made the transition of being someone that was immunocompromised during chemo. Um, it made the transition a lot less disruptive. Um, cause it's not like I was going into the office all of a sudden with no hair. <laughs> yeah. Um, By the way, your like- curls look amazing. Thank you. They look fabulous. Thank you. Uh Uh, But yeah, it it was, it was interesting. I'd have, I I, I didn't have to worry about going into the office like while I was sick. Um, So that was, that was really nice. I mean, I could just work from my bed and that sort of thing. Um, So that if there's one thing that was good about working from home, especially during the pandemic, but it was that it, if I was diagnosed during like 
pre-COVID times, I don't know what I would have done in terms of work because I wouldn't be going into the office and yeah. then they'd say, oh, she's not working. But, you know, it's not like that anymore. That's good. <sighs> um, and to touch on, uh, just because I want to talk about your hair a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it looks so yeah. good. Um, oh, I actually, you. I pulled this quote from, um, from your blog, if you don't mind me sharing, just because I don't, I, whatever, I'll let it explain itself. Excuse me while I try not to cough into a mic. Okay. Um, I think you were talking about missing your curls, but you said pre-cancer Vanessa no longer, no longer exists. My curls were my normal, but have, but having been bald for three months now, being bald is my new normal. I am starting to grow some fuzz on my head. That is my new normal. I will always love my pre-cancer curls, but they are no longer a part of my identity. I'm now making room for my budding fuzz. This is my promise to the fuzz on my head. I will love you and take care of you no matter how you turn out, whether you come back super curly, pin straight, gray, or a mixture of all of the above. You are healing. You are growing. And I just. I wrote that. You wrote that. Oh, I think it's so, so sweet. <laughs> it is so cute. Oh I know. That, it's... That, that, wow, I'm tearing up. Um, yeah, I. I was, oh, my fuzz. I was very <laughs> proud of my fuzz. Um, so it's funny, when I first started chemo, I asked my oncologist when, like, if I would be losing my hair. And she said, oh, yes, you are 100% going to lose your hair. Um, there's certain chemo regimen that we're putting on. You will lose your hair. Don't be one of those people that says, oh, but what if it, no, it, you will lose it. Um, and it, you will start losing it on day 17, day, mm-hmm. between day 15 and 17. I was like, wow, to the exact day. Very it specific. was to the exact day, Fiona. It was so true because right, be- I decided to shave my head right before my second chemo session. So mm-hmm. that was around, I shaved my head around, I think like day 13, day 12, day 13. Um, so it was, I was bald. I mean, I still had, you know, like, what was that? What was that experience like shaving your head? It was actually not as emotional as I thought it, it would be. I think mm-hmm. because I got ahead of my hair falling out, I felt in control. And that's one mm-hmm. thing that, especially at the beginning of my diagnosis, it was really hard for me to not be in control. So once I knew my treatment plan, once I knew what the next steps were, once I knew that I had a plan in place, I felt a lot calmer. And so I think I was at peace knowing that I was shaving my head before I had to watch my curls fall out. Totally. Um, and so, um, I remember looking at my head and I was like, I look like a bald eagle. <laughs> it's like uh, then my hair, my scalp. I, okay. Pre all of this, my hair was super, super thick. It still is. Yeah. And it came back like again, um, thankfully, but, um, my hair never saw, my scalp never saw the light of day. So it right. was white and I'm, you know, Mexican and I'm, you know, pretty like, uh, like neutral, medium skin tone, tannish. Um, but it was, it was a pretty jarring <laughs> difference. At least the, the day that I shaved my head and like for the next few weeks, then it eventually even down. You could I look like, you know, a thumb, mm-hmm. but, um, <laughs> but it, it was, it was very interesting um because a few days later once I had my second chemo session and I was I was already bald at this point because I shaved my head but then I remember getting in the shower and I just went like I just rubbed my scalp like 
very gently and I look at my at my hand and it's covered in all these tiny little like hair follicles this is day 17 yeah like day 17 exactly um so you know like you know the remaining fuzz that was on my Mm -hmm. head after because you know you can't I didn't like shave like razor my head or anything I just used the like the buzzer yeah, yeah. Clipping thing, whatever. There were still some um, little, it was like a yeah, like a stubble, buzz cut ish. Yes, stubble. That's the word. Okay. Um, so I just like run my hand over my scalp and all of the stubble is on my head. It is on my hand. I get out of the shower and I show my mom, I'm like, no, look at my head. She and she looks at my my head. And it, keep in mind, I just run my run it over like my forehead scalp area, not in the back, like by the nape of my neck so I look like a, a balding <laughs> old man on the top with like their very receding ha- hairline oh so my mom, no <laughs> my mom gently like touches my shoulder she's like how about you get back in the shower and rub the rest of your head oh my god so at this point, I was just more amazed and amused by the stubble falling out because it wasn't like I was watching my full on curls falling out. Right. Cause I got ahead of that. Um, I actually ended up making my curls. I used my hair and got it sent in and got it turned into a hat wig, meaning that it's a wig. Um, I mean, you can't wear it without a hat. You have to put a hat on top of it because it's like bald on top. Mm. Um, oh, okay. but Interesting. Oh, can, a halo wig, right? So yeah. A halo wig, a halo wig, a hat wig. It's, okay. um, so I, I had it. So I used that as kind of like as a memorial, as a way to like, remember my hair. I like barely ever wore, um, I thought I was going to wear wigs all the time or something. No wigs are so itchy and just not <laughs> fun, except for this halo wig was actually very, very comfy. Um, so I would wear that for like, you know, customer facing work calls or mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But, um, I, I, was able to I think I was also at peace because I knew I had my hair with me in some capacity just maybe not on my head but I had it in some way um but yeah it was definitely very interesting I noticed that towards the end while I was finishing up chemo I started experiencing a little bit of fuzz on my head and I was like mom look at my head she's like what am I looking at I was like don't you see the fuzz and she's squinting and she's like just just say yes just say yes yes. yes. Um, yeah I don't the the whole I mean the quote that I pulled too especially it just it really made me think about how difficult it is for so many of us to picture like a reality that's different than the one that we're in and then like suddenly when the things just change it's it's almost harder to imagine the past at least like a past person who doesn't know the information that you have now you know it's let me tell you, it's really hard for me to look at pictures of myself pre-diagnosis. Really? Like it is very difficult for me to look at pictures of myself from even the first months of COVID before I felt my lung. Because I just look at those pictures and I ask myself, oh my God, did I have cancer in that picture? Yeah. And it's like, I, and I just like sit there and I, I'll never know the answer. Yeah. Um, and I just sit there thinking like, oh my gosh what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. And so it's, it's really, so I, I mourn the loss of my previous self, but I also embrace my new self that is in this life after cancer. Um, 
because I mean, you know, being a young breast cancer survivor, it's not my entire identity. It's not my identity, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely shaped who I am today, not to be all cliche or anything, but it's, it's definitely, it's definitely changed me. Um, and the way that I, I look at my life and how I'm spending it and making sure it, it reminds me that, you know, you're not, you're not, um, uh, guaranteed the next day, that sort of thing, you know? So, yeah, um, I mean, the, you're it's like hit over, like hit in the head by your own mortality. It's, yeah. it's going to change yeah. things a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Just a little, just a little bit. Yeah. My mom went through a lot of those what ifs. And at first, honestly, it kind of like drove me crazy. Cause I was like, it's like you didn't do not, anything. You didn't you do, do anything. anything. Like just, just stop. And then, and then I started to come to terms with the fact that it's, it is like, was at least partially a control thing. Like just having some level of like, what of this can I control? What could I have controlled? Obviously the past isn't as useful in that way. Um, but then it kind of also made me think about like your relationship with Portia and just like that oh, representation. Portia. Yeah. Like My there's girl. that, like you mentioned that that was kind of your, um, representation of like active treatment. And then, mm-hmm. you know, without that, it's like, what am I doing? What am I actively doing to be in control of this situation? And, you know, right. Yeah. I'll tell you, I was, I, okay. Chemo sucked. Uh, let me just say chemo sucked. It was the worst thing that I've ever had to go through my entire life. However, I did not have anxiety during chemo because I knew I was actively doing something to make sure that the cancer didn't come back. And that gave me a lot of peace. So um, people might be thinking, they're listening to this, who the hell is Portia? So Portia was my port. <laughs> Great point. Um, was, Thank you. She was a port that it was basically this little device that they put um, in my chest. And that is basically how they um, pumped the chemo toxic poison into my body to kill all of my cells that had any trace of possible cancer that was lingering in there. Um, and she did her job very well. And I thought that when I got her removed, that they would let me keep her, but apparently it was not a thing because she's a quote unquote biosafety hazard or a biohazard. I'm like, are you kidding me? Well, she's my biohazard. They still wouldn't, <laughs> they still didn't let me take her home. And Post post chemo, Vanessa was very sensitive. I still am, but I was very upset by the fact that I couldn't keep her for some reason. I mean, it was it was the silliest thing. But I think part of the reason being is because I I associated that with removing Portia from my body as that being the end of my active treatment because I was Mm -hmm. done with chemo, and that was really really hard for me to accept. And just the fact that they wouldn't let me keep the port, like. You know, you I mean, I put it that? in a box or something and like never look at it ever again, but just, you know, I wouldn't like just the idea keychain, yeah, just yeah. the idea. Of, how did, how did uh, you overcome that? I don't know if I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> I still, I, I mean, you can still see my scar, my, mm-hmm. the, I call it the, the ghost of Portia. Oh. <laughs> I like, I remember I was like bawling when they removed her and I asked them to keep I just took a picture with her and so there's this bald, they're, just imagine bald me sobbing next to this 
core that has just been freshly removed from my body. So it has like, you know, bodily fluids on it. It's <laughs> disgusting. And I'm just like posing with it, like trying to smile with, oh my God. It was, oh my it, I was a mess. Um, but I mean, eventually I, I got over it. I was like, Vanessa, you're being ridiculous. Um, but it, it was, it was really hard the first few weeks after chemo, after finishing chemo. Cause I felt like I wasn't actively doing anything. Um, to prevent my cancer from coming back. And so that was, that was really hard for me to adjust. And I still have a hard time with that. However, I am doing my hormone therapy every day. I, mm-hmm. I take a, a, a pill every day of the aromatase inhibitor that on top of the Zolodex shot that I get every month, this also prevents, um, you know, it also helps with making sure that there's really not any hormones in my body, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in that sense, I am actively treating myself for the foreseeable future. So I've been on hormone therapy for now a year. Um, I have to be on it for at least another four years. Then I will get testing done to determine whether or not I would benefit from an additional five years. But mm-hmm. um, that's still that's still to be determined. Yeah. My mom is on hormone therapy right now. She went on it after radiation. But um, over the summer, there was this one instance where like, she went to refill the order or something and they were like the pharmacist was like oh your they your doctor canceled that order and what? she was like yeah she was like he told me if i missed a day i would be screwed like what do you mean he canceled the order and they were like oh yeah he canceled the order like months ago and she's like and he didn't contact me and so then she couldn't get a hold of him because he was like on vacation somewhere i know so she had her obgyn like hooked it up and like just I, but I was shocked. I was like, I oh just, my God. could you? Yeah, I know. Oh, it was, it was not good. Oh my God. I would have just fired them right then and there and yeah. like went and trudged along to another one. She oh was my like God. looking <gasps> for, she was like looking into another one, but like the other oncologist was like just significantly younger, but she was like, this just seems like a better bet. Like you can't just like not tell yeah. me what you're doing with my hormone therapy. Like that's crazy. That is insane. Oh my yeah. gosh. Um, but I digress. Um, <laughs> anyway, so your advocacy work now, um, I mean, unless, unless I'm jumping the gun and there was, um, I didn't want to wrap up your story yet. Oh no, go ahead. Life I don't remember after what I was chemo. Anyway. You I were talking su- about your I have chemo such bad chemo brain. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh. Um, just to turn to your advocacy work a little bit because you have been so active. Um, and it's it's so exciting. I mean, you've been working with the Tiger Lily Foundation and with For the Breast of Us. I listened to Batty to Batty recently. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. Um, so I just wanted to know if you could share a little bit about those two. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so I've gone through some, some training sessions and I'm officially certified as being a a breast cancer patient advocate specifically through the Tiger Lily Foundation. What the Tiger Lily Foundation is, is it is a, it is a nonprofit and it is meant to be a resource for specifically young women and more specifically young women of color going through breast cancer. So their target audience is women between the ages of 15 and 39. Um, and they have education programs um, specifically for younger populations, even mm-hmm. for those who are in elementary and middle school called, wow. I think it's called the Petals Program. So it's, it's to get young people 
um, more comfortable with their bodies and having a better understanding of breast health. Um, it, in, just in knowing general, what's because, normal about your body. Exactly. I exactly. Really, like even as a 26 year old, there's still things that I'm like, um, I don't know. Is it usually like this? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do, how, how do I not know that yet? Like I've exactly. been in this body for 26 years. It's crazy. It, it really needs to be something that they teach along with sex ed in, in schools um, well, because we didn't have health, sex ed. We didn't have <laughs> anyway. sex ed either. And yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. We didn't even have, yeah, yeah, we were in a Catholic school, which did not have sex ed. All they did was they came into our biology class that one time and told us, uh, uh, what was it? It was like the, the rhythm method or something in Take okay. your temperature. I must have blocked Do you remember because, that day? No, because we were in the same bio class and I literally, I probably completely blocked it out. It was the method. Was what does that mean? Bad. It, or I don't know. It was some, it was this couple, this young couple. Oh my and God. she like, I feel like, and yeah. she, she talked about how he oh. had, how, she set I up do like remember the software this. on his computer because he was addicted to porn to make sure that he wasn't looking at porn and they would use like their calendar oh she would take her temperature when she was ovulating to make sure she wasn't getting pregnant they were or to so make sure she bad. was Why, how could they be bad. so bad at that it like, was it was really bad it was really bad it was really this bad. was freshman year like I think so yeah you yeah. think a bunch of freshmen are gonna take that seriously it was, it was really bad. <laughs> yeah that's terrible but yeah so the, basically the Tiger Lily Foundation uh, focuses on providing resources for young people affected by breast cancer, but also acting as an educational resource for young people to have a better understanding of their, of breast health and just, um, understanding what to look out for, what are the screening options available to them? Um, just a little, a little snippet here. There's no screening options available for young people. The only thing you have Defend for yourself is a self-rest exam, but if you look at the American Cancer Society's website, they don't even recommend those. So not Why? to throw them under the bus, but they are ridiculous. Um, yeah. So <laughs> uh, for it's a lot of for a lot of reasons, most of them being that their their logic behind it is that um, you'll be receiving mammograms anyway. So self-breast exam isn't going to do much, oh which is God. false because young people don't even qualify for mammograms. Uh, I know crazy. a lot of people who found their lump shortly after having a normal mammogram. So that's, well, that's like, yes. my, I mean, my mom, she just ex- was experiencing itching and she mm-hmm. went for a mammogram and they couldn't find anything. And then like three weeks later, she was like still itching. And so she went back another mammogram nothing but they also told it's her like that the she mammogram had... isn't the only thing to yeah. do well that's the thing they, they told like... her that she had dense breasts and she knew that but she didn't know that she had the option to ask for an MRI and that's when mm-hmm. they actually found it but mm-hmm. it's like she she'd known I mean like you said she is that middle-aged white woman <laughs> and she didn't, and had <laughs> and had been told that she had dense breasts all her life but had not even known that that was an option and, and that is a risk factor and nobody knows that having dense breasts it is a yeah. risk factor m- partly being that it's harder to find to detect it on mammograms which is why which is why mammograms are typically not recommended for younger people because they typically have denser breasts mm. but that doesn't that shouldn't be the end-all be-all right um, like, that okay, well then don't do anything out there. Exactly. Like that's it's crazy. It, it's, 
it's really ridiculous. And so that's one of the things that I advocate for is for the cancer guidelines, whether it's with the American Cancer Society or with the U.S. Preventative, wait, U.S. PSTF, U.S. Preventative Task Force, or anywho, uh, one of our, <laughs> U.S. PSTF and the American Cancer Society, basically neither of them recommend self-breast exams with the logic that mammograms will catch it, catch anything much earlier than a self-breast exam. Um, as well as uh, regular self-rest exams will create this a sense of urgency and a lot of false positives. And that's not actually the case. It's like, then, wouldn't you rather be, <laughs> wouldn't you rather you be also, safe? I'm sorry. Like, you also calculate then the fact that most women of color are also systematically dismissed in the healthcare mm-hmm. field, like mm-hmm. just not believed, dismissed, mm-hmm. and already more likely to mm-hmm. experience these things and have a higher mortality rate. Like it's crazy. Why would you not? Mm. It, it's it's actually ridiculous. Uh, black women specifically are dying at a much higher rate than white women who are diagnosed with breast cancer um, simply because of systemic um, oppression within like the healthcare industry of black women and just women of, of color in general, not being listened to, not getting taken seriously. And also mm-hmm. doctors just not knowing how to, how to um, navigate melanated skin. Um, right. So a lot of times um, I know when I was looking at different surgical options, I'll, I would look up on Google uh, mastectomies for women of color. And the first picture that would pop up would be a white woman with the mastectomy. And it was like a middle-aged white woman. I'm like, well, that's not what I look like. No, that's also Uh, not what I searched for. Like none of it, none of the above. Um, so it's like, and a lot of, there's also this very common misconception and in terrible racist myth that black people don't feel pain as much as, as, as white people. And it's like this, there's just so many things that are woven into our current healthcare system um, and in our doctors and medical researchers today that they just, people of color are at a huge disadvantage and they're di- and because of that, they're dying at much higher rates. Um, so that's, that's part, that's one part that I advocate for and as well as just early detection and education mm-hmm. um, because early detection saves lives. I mean, it's not going to hundred percent save you all the time, but it's an, it's one of your biggest tools in your toolbox. Yeah. And I, that's why I'm also just in love with the work that you're doing with, for the breast of us, because I know that that mm-hmm. is a organization yeah. that is solely dedicated to women of color, uh, especially mm-hmm. younger women, like advocacy and education. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think like the biggest thing for me um, which gets me really, really mad is on Instagram. Um, so, okay. Instagram Are you going to say the community, community guidelines? guidelines. <laughs> oh my God. It makes me so mad. Okay. Mastectomy scars are fine. They pass community guidelines. However, I've gotten flagged on several occasions by Instagram to the point where they're threatening to delete my account because I'm going against community guidelines, which is not true. Because I never show nipples of any kind in my posts. I just show you my scar from my sur- from my mastectomy, from my lumpectomy, from those surgeries. I've only shown those surgeries, those scars. And those are completely allowed 
and I still get flagged by Instagram. And I go back and report it. And then they pull it and they're like, oh yeah, you're right. But then randomly they started removing them again and it wouldn't give me the option to say like, you know, look this over again. It just wouldn't give me that option. So now it's because their algorithm doesn't have enough pictures of women of color to understand what mastectomy scars look like on melanated skin. Because the majority of the white women that post mastectomy scars don't get flagged. Really? Mm -hmm. Jeez. It's typically mainly women of color who are getting censored on Instagram for their mastectomy scars. Yeah. That is so crazy that it's, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just so ingrained in every single part of our society. Yep. Like down Mm -hmm. to Instagram. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they also, I'm pretty sure they think that mastectomy scars only look a certain way, which is not true. They can look, there's, you can have, I don't know why they would think that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's not always just going to be the a same line. surgeon it's didn't like, do the same surgery on the same breast. Like what? Exactly. <laughs> so that this is also my big thing is trying to be like Instagram. Look at me. I'm not doing anything wrong. Why are you saying I'm, I'm, my content is offensive by showing like nudity and whatever. It's like, that is not true. I'm sure I am spreading awareness that this is happening to young people and specifically also young people like, just also like the the difference between the male nipple and the female nipple and how one is just it, inherently it, 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 sexualized it, 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 is so crazy it drives me insane, it drives yeah. Me insane. I, yeah that is wild um yeah. okay but so you're doing a lot with for the breast of us what is mm-hmm. going on there what's happening Oh, there's so much. There's so much. Um, so one thing that has been really, really cool. Um, so speaking of mastectomy scars is, uh, for the rest of us actually booked a book deal with mentor mentor is a brand, a very popular brand of implants. Um, so, uh, people who've gotten breast augmentation or have breast reconstruction, um, after having double mastectomy or having any sort of mastectomy, a lot of times, um, one of the popular options is using the mentor implants. Um, and they, for the rest of us booked a book deal with them to display these photo albums of women of color with mastectomy scars, um, in all of their physician's offices across the U S because right now there really isn't a lot of representation um yeah there really isn't a lot of representation so the goal is to show pictures of the people that are actually getting these these surgeries what they'll actually look like and seeing Mm. people that actually look like them on on a on a piece of paper and being able to see um what it would look like um because it, it it really does look very different on melanated skin yeah um so that's that's one thing that we've that we've been working on a lot um, I, That's they so affectionately, exciting. they affectionately call me baby baddie. We call ourselves the baddies. Um, I'm baby baddie because I'm the youngest of the bunch. Um, but they, yeah, we specifically focus on the representation of women of color going through breast cancer specifically. Um, so yeah, this is just 
really about making sure that our voices are heard and that we have a place at, at like a seat at the table when it comes to any sort of um, campaigns with with huge pharmaceutical companies and with other breast cancer organizations and just making sure that um, women of color are also being listened to and heard. That's great. Well, I'm very yeah. excited for you and all of that work. Um, and I also want to ask, because like you said, this isn't your entire identity. Um, what is Vanessa excited about? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that, oh. I mean, I imagine there's like a very real sense of advocacy burnout and just, you know, you being also a 25 year old person enjoying life. Like I have to ask. Oh, (laughs) it's a deep sigh. Like, I don't even know who I am. And I have such an, an, you definitely have I have definitely had several existential crises. It's like, who am I? What am I even doing? Um, Are you like a five-year plan person? I was. And kind of, uh, so when I originally had a five-year plan, uh, this is not what my five-year plan I had in mind of five years (laughs) of hormone therapy is not what I had in mind. No, no. That's the first thing I I was like, all right, Vanessa, when I first started working, um, I, like, I, you know, I used to be like only focused on theater and I really wanted to pursue theater professionally. And then I don't know what changed my mind, but at some point senior year of college, I was like, no, I just am getting really tired. Um, and I was doing it a lot professionally while also working full time. And I was just burning out a lot and thought, you know, maybe I just need to take a break from this. Uh, coincidentally, that's when the pandemic hit and then I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And then I just, I just haven't really found the same joy out of it that I used to. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because of the pandemic. I don't know if it's because of my diagnosis, but it's, it's just not necessarily a huge part of who I am anymore. I think I still use my passion for entertaining, I guess, um, in terms of like educating people about breast health and that's a good thing now, but it's, I don't know. It's, I, I definitely don't find myself as much in the, in the theater space anymore, but I mean, other than that, I mean, before all of this, I was like, Vanessa, I want to be a manager because I just, I really love my job and I just love coaching people specifically in nobody wakes up. You would be such a good manager. Oh, thank you. I know a no, lot of bad okay. managers and a lot of good ones. Because <laughs> here's the thing. Nobody wakes up one day when they're five years old saying, I want to be a salesperson. No. <laughs> and somehow I, nobody says that. I just kind of like stumbled upon this job fresh out of college. Like they were recruiting. Uh, it was like at a college fair. And they, for some reason, they were convinced that someone with a the theater background would be good in sales. And I'm like, actually, that is a very good idea. I, it's um, funny because now I'm in like publicity and they were, when I was doing my interviews, they were excited about the fact that I interview people on a podcast. They were like, yeah, we love that you, you know, talk to people all the time or like what we're performing, like all those things. It's funny. It's such an important skill. It is such an important, I mean, maybe not like a hard skill or sure. hard versus soft skill, you know, like that's sort of people skills. But it's people skills. Exactly. And it's so important. Um, and so I just. I really lucked out that I, I found that the first job out of college that I actually really started really enjoying, but the part that I enjoyed more than even just the say, like the sales aspect itself 
was working with the other people on, on the team that I was on and helping them become better um, sales professionals as well. And so I just really love coaching others. And so my original five-year plan before all this is, Nessa, you're going to be a manager in five years. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, we'll see about that. Um, <laughs> but I, that, I've been kind of like doing that. And so um, I finally got to have some real vacations this past year. Now Good. that I was done with chemotherapy, I got to go to Cancun with my mom last summer, which was incredible because I did absolutely nothing. All I did was lay by the pool. Oh no, not lay by the pool. I was in the pool because it was very hot outside. I could not <laughs> just lay out there because I was just a sweaty mess, but mm-hmm. I was in the pool. And when I was not in the pool, I was eating at the all you can eat buffet. That was incredible. And when I wasn't eating and I wasn't in the pool, I was taking a nap because of my food coma and just being (laughs) tired from being in the pool. It was incredible. And then after that, and so then for Thanksgiving, I went back home. And when I say home, I mean California because all my mom's side of the family lives in California. Mm -hmm. And this was my first time seeing my family since COVID diagnosis, all of that. So I, and so I was there for three weeks and I brought my boyfriend with me and he had never been to San Diego and he just absolutely fell head over heels in love with San Diego. And he's like, all right, we're moving here. And I was like, all right, we can't afford it, but (laughs) I love your enthusiasm. (laughs) Um, But it was, it was really fun being able to do, you know, normal coupley things like going to Disneyland and um, being able to explore Balboa Park and just be a normal couple and not um, thinking about cancer and that sort of thing. So it it reminded me of how it it reminded me of my love for travel. So I'm looking Hmm. forward to continuing, um, continuing my travels in in the future. I love that. That's yeah. a great, that's a great answer. I, I co-sign, I support you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> of course, not that you need my support, but I'm excited <laughs> for you. I'm excited for the pictures. That's for sure. Um, okay. Well, before I let you go, I don't want to keep you too long, but I have kind of two questions. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually kind of three, but if one is like too obvious, then you can tell me to just be quiet. Um, <laughs> Well, I'll tell you all three and then you tell me which <laughs> or I'm making this more complicated than it has. To be. I love it. No, it's it's all good. Um, I wanted to know A, if you had any advice about how to practice self-exams. B, if like how people could show support to any of the foundations you're involved in and see where people can find you. So all right. Uh a okay so for a for doing a self-rest exam um it's always good to do it when you're in you can so the one of the easiest ways to do it is you can do it when you're in the shower you can do it when you're waking up so it's good to do it in several different positions because if there's a lump or any sort of of difference in texture you might not be able to feel it in the same position at all times so mm-hmm you want to make sure that you are feeling all around the breast and either up and down motions, like, you know, going from 12 o'clock to six mm-hmm. o'clock or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like the clock, that sort of thing, all across your breast, as well as into your armpit. 
and mm-hmm. your collarbone and your neck. You want to mm-hmm. look in all of those areas. Um, you want to do it looking in the mirror and also um, leaning into the mirror, like tilting forward. You want to do it on your side, laying down on the bed as well, and just laying down on your back on your bed. So you want to, you want to be able to feel it from all the different angles. Okay. Um, so those are my biggest pieces of advice for a self-breast exam. Um, like a once a month. Yeah. Like a once a month sort of thing, just mark it on your calendar. Um, just cause it helps you have a, it helps you learn what your, what your normal is for your own body. Totally. Um, yeah. So I, I recommend once a month, probably not when you're on your period. Cause I think it's your, your breasts can be weird when you're on your period or whatever. So, um, probably when you're not on your period, I'd mm-hmm. say, but also just choose the same time every month. Um, once is fine. Uh, what was the second one? Uh, how so people can support your, the foundations or organizations. Absolutely. Okay. So some of the organizations that I love are for the rest of us as well as the breasties. Um, if you want to be donating towards research though, I highly recommend BCRF, which is the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, as well as Metaviver. Metaviver only, uh, they, all of the money goes specifically towards research for stage four, um, which is the only kind of breast cancer that kills. Um, so I highly recommend um, donating to Breast Cancer Research Foundation, as well as Metaviver. Um, so you can easily look those up on your phone. Um, I think you can donate to them through Amazon smile as well. If you're, if you're addicted to Amazon, like me, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, that's another way that you can help out in those ways. Um, how people can find me, I'm all over Instagram. Uh, you can, it's, uh, my, my username is very original. It's just Vanessa Chapoy, uh, first and last name. Easy peasy very 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 easy um I think I'm pretty funny so I highly recommend <laughs> my my Instagram <laughs> I have the real way you can show support is by yelling at Instagram about their community guidelines yes yes real real talk real talk right there How, yes. power and numbers Correct. power and numbers thank yeah. you of course um, well, thank you, Vanessa, so much. I really appreciate this. I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. It means the world to me. So I am just incredibly grateful for you. No, thank you for having education. me. Of course. It's my pleasure. Sure. Um, and thank you all for listening. This has been Fiona Winch and Vanessa Chapoy on Thoughtful Intentions.